Welcome to Influential She, the podcast about accelerating the influence of women in the world. You will find us to be a fresh voice in an old conversation. And here we are, your amazing co-hosts, Deb Soholt and Mel Shop. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Influential She. We're just so excited that you would join in this conversation. And we're just all about accelerating the influence of women. And we love doing that through story because every woman has an amazing story to tell about their own influence. I'm your co-host, Deb Soholt. And I'm Mel Shop, and it's so great to be here today. And we're, we're going to be talking about one of our high leverage practices of connection. And I think in the current situation, connection may have changed a little bit in the past year uh, with the pandemic, but it's always about sort of this networking relationship building. I don't care what leadership book you read, it's going to talk how critically important is to connect. But we kind of look at this different, right, Deb, in the way that we talk about it and the way we think about it and how critically important it is for women in in building their influence. You know, so many times they talk about this idea of networking and negotiating with people as just zinging around a room and handing out business cards and how many people can you get? Now I'm going to say something that like would really date me would be like a Rolodex. Now, the young people <laughs> listening, you won't even know what that is. So you could go into some archive and you can look that up. But it's really about how many contacts do you have in your smartphone we're really talking about connection, I think, more than ever on where we're at in how fractured so many things feel. And you know, a lot of people keep telling us, and I think perpetuating how fractured we are, but I keep saying we're divided, we're divided, we're divided, we're divided. And yet, just as humanity and people, you know, now more than ever, we need to be in connection where we are. It's I see you. Like, even in a small moment, I am with you and, and connected with you. I am present for you. And I am really trying to perceive what it is that you need in this moment of our exchange. Not that I'm taking care of you, but what is it that you need to have happen in order for us to have a positive connection with each other and to kind of cut through the clutter and as human beings connect in a new way. Isn't that right, Mel? I think we call it reciprocal respect. Yeah, it's so easy to hang out with people that, you know, we know and that we are well aligned with and whether it's our value system or our political um, ideations. But sometimes those other people are people that we need to listen to and that reciprocal respect requires us to make connections based on what we know it can be a positive way and to, you know, to really listen. And that's, that's just part of this whole connection thing. So that's why we are just so excited today about our guest, Grace Coe, because I mean, tell, I'm telling you, this woman, she has such expertise in this fine finesse art of communicating at the negotiation level to like really get things done. Welcome to the show, Grace. Thanks, Deb. This is really, this is such an exciting um, uh, just podcast. It's, I have to say in our conversations prepping for this, I was really surprised at how deep you dig and how much how willing you were to go a little bit past the normal sort of here's what happens this is how i get through the day kind of normal stuff this is um i'm uh, i have to say i'm a, i'm a little uh i'm a little apprehensive but in a good way you know <laughs> well it's good well that's good so that's and good. you know grace your feedback just means everything to us because that's what we're all about with influential she of really 
getting to the heart of the matter because so many things are one-dimensional and more surface and how you should be and how people think you should act. And we could feel that in our own careers and in our life and the things that we wanted to influence in a positive way of how we were being pulled away by someone else's agenda versus staying true to what does this practice really mean at an authentic level. So we love that you have picked that up. And for our listeners, I just want to tell you just a little bit about Grace, because she's just like really something. Right now, she's the vice president for legislative affairs for Nokia North America. Like, not you know, just a small job. North America. That's like a big landmass. And she has just (laughs) incredible work in Washington, D.C. She's done just a variety of roles, which we'll get into in the podcast But all of these roles and why she keeps moving into new arenas to act within those roles is because of the skill that she has developed in this art of connection, this high leverage practice of meeting people where they're at. And we're going to dig into that a little bit. So Grace, again, welcome to the show. Let's just start with, tell us about a time when you really were in a space and you've been in so many, but give us an example of this space of connecting and negotiating with people to get things done. Sure. Um, It's funny. Uh, So Washington, D.C., you picked a great city to talk about (laughs) negotiations. Not that they go anywhere. Yeah, (laughs) as you can probably see and you've seen on the news, but um, it is so important in DC to make sure that you're talking not just to people who think like you, but people who don't think like you, so that you can get a deal across. And what helps to drive that 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 communication is the notion that you're working not just for um, oh for a business or for you know somebody's bottom line, but you're actually working for the American people. And I think that imbues it every negotiation to some degree with a sense of real purpose, of real contribution, I think. And that often helps. So in the time that I've been uh, in Washington, D.C., I was just thinking about um, a a bill that I was hired to help draft. Um, This is one of these must-pass bills. Uh, uh, Living out where you guys do, um, you probably had satellite TV for a little while. Is that right? right. So, oh, yeah. Exactly. So, oh, yeah. yeah. And I don't know if you got local stations or if you got Denver, generally, Denver stations uh, on your satellite feed. But um, there's a law that actually sort of supports all of that. And um, fix, uh, you know, that law had to be reauthorized every five years or so. And if you didn't reauthorize it, well, then you all... Um, out in the big sky country wouldn't get your your signals um through the the, the um through through the satellite feeds uh so other interests would try to pack stuff onto that law knowing that it had to pass they would take that vehicle and try to load it with things that other people didn't want so you'd have a big sort of food fight particularly around essentially video issues and uh i came in basically to help i guess manage the food fight um but <laughs> Clean up the floor. Everybody first needs an apron. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. An apron and a hairnet. Uh, So, so, uh, so I I was essentially hired to, to help manage that food fight because I had worked for a company that, um, you know, sort of incorporated a lot of different interests. And so I went from in-house to the Hill, um, uh, to the Capitol Hill and ended up sort of helping to negotiate between cable operators and broadcasters and satellite operators uh, what the rights were going to be when they put this this all together. So it was a a pretty fascinating experience. Um, You would be surprised at how uh, 
excited people get when they realize that they may not get their Broncos or they may not get their, <laughs> their weather report. And you would be excited. Oh, you yeah. would be, you would be surprised about how, um, excited broadcasters get when they, they tell you that, uh, you know, if you don't reauthorize their signals, then no one's going to get emergency alerts and everyone's probably going to, you know, perish under a rock fall or, or a hurricane or something. So I, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's all of that. So yeah. it's, you know, it's sifting through all of the hyperbole. It's uh, trying to understand what it is that needs to happen, what it is that um, people can be satisfied with. And you, you, you go, you get down from what you want to what you need and what will actually move the ball forward. So uh, that's, that's one of my, my, big DC experiences. Uh, we did get the bill authorized. So, uh, that was pretty exciting. You know, in that story and in the things we've, we've talked to, I'm just thinking through all the things that you had to do and how you negotiated that. One of the things you told us when we talked earlier that I just wrote down that really impacted me is that you take other people really serious <laughs> and you're a listener. And then from that, you take cues from what other people are saying. Cause I think that's what makes you successful is that you're not just, I need to get this done. But you talked about that, that that is one of your strengths. You're just this really good listener. And then you take, you, you know, you move from where the people are at, not where you want them to be. Right. Is that correct? I think that's absolutely right. I think that is the key to successful negotiation, actually, is listening very hard. Um, but what is it that um, some people say you have two ears and one mouth? Use them appropriately, yeah. you know, proportionately. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I think. Uh, if you don't know where people want to go and you really don't understand where the zone of sort of, um, of, uh, agreement will be. And if you're not, if you're, if you're focused pr uh, purely on where you want to go, uh, that's, you know, that, that's not necessarily where other people will take you. Um, I, I do think every successful negotiation in DC, uh, requires, um, uh, consensus from, from the group, no matter how, how diametrically opposed they might be originally, there is some place where they can actually um, coalesce and agree and move forward. If, you know, if, if a group is so absolutely diametrically opposed, there is no going forward. And you have to respect that as well. You have to understand that that's not going to happen. You lay the groundwork for the next time though. I mean, because this is not a one-shot deal. Everything is a process. Everything will be, everything is a relationship. So you need to continue to, to build on what you have and what you keep move, what you can move forward with. I think one of the things that we're really interested in helping women think about is communication in conflict. You know, that so many times, it, it, well, for any human being, it's tough. But many times, you know, just the whole mean girls of our past and, you know, being adolescent and not having enough testosterone coursing through our veins to like just want to go punch somebody in the nose, even though, you know, <laughs> girls do that in a different way. But... Talk a little bit about your journey of just diving into this space of being in spaces of conflict and wanting to be in connection with them. Talk a little bit about how you, I mean, you just wake up, you know, wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'll just like be in the most conflictual arena that's possible and try to work <laughs> on connection with people. So talk a little bit about what that's like to be in that constant conflict space and find it intriguing in a way of connection. No, it, it, it is really, I, I think you, 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 you're right. It is intriguing because conflict does sort of lay out what people are actually looking to do. And, 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 uh, it's, it's for me, I like to know where I stand. I like to know where, um, I, uh, uh, what the rules are, where the boundaries are, et cetera. Uh, but you're not always going to get that kind of clarity when you're in conflict. I think 
the best thing that I find to do is to make sure that you're very clear that that you're you're communicating as clearly what you uh, as possible what you want what you want the other person to do, and then trying to understand from them what um, uh, uh, what you can do to go forward. But um, for example, there was this. I think one very key conflict for me was actually when I worked on the Hill, uh, occurred when I worked on the Hill, and I, this was during the, the um, negotiation of this bill that I was talking about. And, um, I, you know, I'd spent some time with this one lobbyist for one industry, uh, just discussing um, with her that the uh, where I thought the breaks were going to be. And, um, you know, we talked about sort of the things that would be helpful to that industry. We talked about the things that would be harmful to that industry. Um, and I thought at this discussion that we had agreed on what we could live with, right, from that industry and what we could move forward with. And, um, you know, I came back and uh, it, based on what we had discussed, I sort of packaged everything together and then put it out for more comment from the general public. Well, after I did that, apparently my boss got a call or um yeah, essentially my boss got a call or his chief got a call um, saying that this was not at all what we had agreed to. We don't know where this where Grace was coming from, but this was not something that was on the table at all. And that just, you know, I, I remember getting the phone call from that chief and basically thinking, oh, my, my spine just sort of froze, right? Um, and I thought I had made a huge mistake. And um, at the same time, I also knew or I thought I knew, rather, that what we had discussed, um, I was fairly certain of what we had discussed. I was fairly certain that this was this was a backtrack on the part of the industry. Uh, so I didn't know what was going on there. Um, and, you know, but I just, you know, I just suddenly felt really abandoned and I felt that somebody was trying to to roll me, essentially. I think that that's the uh, term of art around here in D.C. So I, I you know, I, I didn't exactly know what to do with that, but I, I, the first thing I did was talk to um, one of the other chiefs. So that was um, that, uh, I was I had been talking to a senior director who who had gotten the call from that industry, and I talked to my actual chief, my my actual boss, and uh, discussed with him what was going on, um, and tried to figure out sort of what we needed to do. Um, we decided to talk to the staff director of the committee, who is sort of the big chief, right? I'm sorry, there's so many sort of, this is, it's a little confusing, but um, so we talked to, um, we talked to him and lucky for me, he had already sort of figured out who I was from the work that I had been doing. And he knew that I was a relatively, that I was a straight shooter and that I was looking to do good work and I wasn't seeking to sort of roll any industries or, or you know, throw them under the bus. And it appears that this other lobbyist was also gaining something of a reputation for some, you know, a, a few shenanigans. Uh, so that was, you know, that lucky for me, um, they took my side ultimately on that. And uh, we moved forward with what I had drafted up and what I thought we had originally agreed to. So in a sense, um, you know, I had, uh, I had won, right? And uh, I, I could leave it at that. But I didn't really want to leave it at that. Um, because I was uh, hurt, for one thing. Um, I felt uh, that my reputation had been um, uh, questioned. And then uh, I think I also knew on a very practical level that this was a big industry that I was going to have to deal with on a regular basis. And this big industry's lobbyist was this person that had just, I guess, I thought, you know, damaged me 
um, damage my reputation. So, I, you know, I thought about how I was going to deal with this because it's not as though I could avoid this person or this industry, really. Um, and it really bugged me. It really bugged me. Um, you know, there's that sort of visceral sort of, how could you do this to me? But also the, um, how am I going to do, how am I going to work with this person in the future and this industry in the future? Uh, so, you know, it was really calling into question sort of what I was going to do from here on out with this, with this job that requ required, um, dealing with these folks. I was fussing about it, I think at home and my husband, um, you know, uh, was just, was he was listening to me and at, at one point he basically looked at me and he says well what do you think you want to do and I said I want to talk to her I want I want to I mean I ultimately want to yell at her about stuff but he says well you know what are you upset about and I said well because she damaged me and he asked me well did she really damage you I mean you got out okay right I mean the nobody thinks that you actually did anything wrong okay um so I I guess, you know, I thought about it for a little bit. And he was, what, what do you think you really want to do? I mean, and, you know, I thought about it to, to some degree and I realized, okay, so she didn't actually damage my reputation. I'm fine on that front. But I guess the upshot is I do need to work with her and I need to clear that air. And what, I mean, there, there's only one way to clear that air is to have that direct conversation and to say, you know, this is what happened or this is what I think happened. What do you think happened? How do we avoid doing these, uh, getting into these situations in the future? Because we're not going to, um, I, I'm certainly not going to be able to just simply cut her out and never talk to her again. Can't cut out the industry. Um, so I guess we actually did, you know, I reached out, we sat down, had another coffee. Um, and I talked about what I thought had happened. She talked about what she thought had happened. Of course, there was no admission of any wrongdoing on anyone's part, but um but we we came to an agreement that this was uh, this had been a, a serious misunderstanding, and you know, and I, I I suggested to her that if we are doing any sort of negotiations, well, I very rarely put anything in writing because you want the ability to sort of continue to negotiate, and that's just a tactic. You know, I suggested to her maybe we should record and memorialize what you and I talk about in the future, just you know, just to be on the safe side. I didn't say that part, but, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, we found a way path forward, but there was really no other choice in my mind, right? I mean, you have to be able to do, you have to be able to work with people that you don't trust or don't like, and you have to figure out, you know, how to set the boundaries so that everyone is trying to move forward. If you're trying to get the same thing done, you need to be able to work on common, common, uh, common ground rules. And if you can set those, that that gives you a leg up, I think. So, Grace, I just love this example and this story because, you know, you've shared the vulnerability of it, that I was really hurt and my mental model filters were that I was damaged. But you won, ultimately, and people trusted your reputation. But in this connection, your reputation felt threatened. It was hurtful. And I think that's the honesty of it that we have to really start talking about in this connection that... Connection isn't some, woo, it's just all so rosy all the time. It's really easy to just, you know, pack up your things and move to your corner and you're like dead to me because you crossed me. But you yeah. had to have the courage to pull back into that connection. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's not easy. So like you make it seem kind of tied up in a bow because, well, yeah, I got <laughs> to her and we put some boundaries on and it, I didn't want to do it. But I think this is where we're really talking to women saying, 
you can't avoid what's happening here. You have to somehow come to it. And but right. your goal in that connection was not okay, I need I absolutely have to have an apology. Your yeah. goal was you were clear about your new connection goal was we just have to be able to respectfully work together and in some regard put this person on notice that I noticed. So it isn't just like saying, well, that was okay. Right. I actually right. actually had to come back to it. Talk about how that felt to you to, you know, kind of strap your boots on and go back after it again. Oh, you know, it's funny. Um, to some degree, it was really uh, liberating, actually. I felt, um, you know, I, before I came to the decision that I had just had to go and, and sit down and have a face-to-face um, and uh, confront confront her about this, I felt really tied up in knots. I mean, I just thought, you know, um, you know that, that phrase, living in your head rent-free, right? Um, she was really living in my head rent-free thinking, you know, like, how am I supposed to react with her? Am I supposed to give her, you know, throw shade every time I see her? Or, um, you know, that's not me. Um, am I supposed to pretend nothing happened? No, something happened and I felt hurt. So I wanted to honor the fact that I felt hurt about this and I felt like there was a problem. Uh, but I also knew that this is not something I could hold on to if I really wanted to go uh, and, and do my job. So, um, so when I made the decision to sit down and talk to her, I felt good, actually, because it felt like this is the right path. This, this is what Grace Co. would do. Right. This, this is what Grace Co. will do. Right. Yes. And it was, it was that kind of sort of moment where um, it, it just seemed like the absolute right thing. Now, I you know, didn't know how the conversation would go, but I knew that, um, uh, that, that the actions I was taking were the right ones. And so it was authentic to me. And so that's what I was going to do. And I felt good about that. Now, I didn't know how well it was going to be taken and if she was going to um, push back and say I was completely wrong and that I had wronged her or whatever else. But at that point, I, I think I could have taken any of that at that, at that point because I, I felt at peace with what I had done and, and where, where I was taking this. It's, you know, um, yeah. I, think, I think it speaks to your name. Grace, <laughs> because I, you know, I, I remember you saying, you know, I think I wrote down something about you that you're forgiving. You sometimes excuse bad behavior in the name. You need to get things done. And this is what a ex- good example of getting things done. But Grace, I think it'd be interesting if you shared with our listeners, a lot of this is grounded in kind of who you are and your background and your upbringing, because there was things that really, I think have shaped the person you are today and knowing that I am grounded in my faith. I'm grounded in the upbringing, which is really pretty fascinating. I think, I think everybody would like to hear a little bit more about that because I think it speaks to, you know, what you did. It would have been easy just to scorch earth. Deb always uses that phrase. I love that scorching yeah. the earth. You know, but yeah. you used your grace to do that. So talk about your upbringing that really has, I think, shaped who Grace is today. Well. Um- yeah, and so I I grew up um, outside of Philadelphia in Lower Marion. I was born at Hahnemann Hospital in Philadelphia to um, an immigrant Korean immigrants. Um, my father's a pastor, uh, and he pastored at a Korean church, a Korean American church in Philadelphia, which uh, actually um, served as a hub for a lot of University of Pennsylvania and Drexel University students. Um, and, it, you know, the Korean American church is, I think, a community center in a lot of ways for the Korean American community, especially in places like Philadelphia, where it's not very, um, very uh, numerous. Um, 
and uh, grew up in a setting where, you know, I was your typical PK, like really good about some things and kind of awful about some other things. Um, but, uh, you know, but grew up you know, learning Bible verses, uh, singing hymns and um, taking what my parents were teaching me to heart in many ways. I think that continue to surprise me today. Um, but I think one of the key things that really does sort of sink in is um, just uh, uh, forgiveness, I think, is one of the things that I've, I've, I think I just really, I don't know if it's just something that that resonated with me, but um, learning to forgive people for just being, um, uh, just failing for, I mean, you know, this is what, this is what humans do, right? We fail each other all the time. And, um, you know, there may be good reason in somebody's head for one thing or the other, but, and I, you know, let's, let's also keep in mind that I, I, I'm not saying that I never fail anyone. I certainly do. I fail a lot of people. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope for the same sort of grace and forgiveness there. Um, but it is, I think that is a, a central tenet of the Christian faith that I think really has resonated with me. Um, dad, I think had a pretty hard life growing up. Um, and it amazes me. Um, that he has um, been able to build this life here in the United States. And um, despite, every th- despite everything that he grew up with, he was born um, in North Korea, actually, before it was the North. And um, he escaped into South Korea just as they were closing the border with his, uh, I don't know, I think four brothers and two sisters at that point. Um, and uh, with his and his mother, um, his father had come over earlier. And, uh, you know, this this is not easy. He worked hard in Korea. He studied hard. He actually went to college here in the United States um, and decided ultimately that the best thing that he could do, um, he's kind of a mission-oriented guy too, uh, the best thing he could do to, you know, make society a better place was to become a minister. And, and that's what he ended up doing after um, a relatively... A successful budding career as a chemical engineer. So um, it still amazes me. Um, my mother uh, wanted to become a pastor's wife. And um, I think uh, that's how they, the two of them were matched. This was, um, he, he, uh, he was looking for someone who was willing to share the hardship of being a pastor's wife. And so that was what my mother wanted to do. It's funny because I don't think they were personality-wise terrifically suited to each other, but they made it work well enough, I guess. Um, and my mother is one of those other things there um, that I think has taught me or shaped a lot of who I am. Um, and uh, this may not be the nicest thing to say, but I've probably become who I am possibly in reaction to her more than it is um, as I've mo- more than I've modeled myself after her. Um, my mother is my mother, no matter who, or, you know, no matter how hard it gets with her sometimes, um, I love her and I want to love her. So I think, you know, there is a choice that I've made with my mom that uh, she is my mother and I'm going to treat her well and I'm going to do the best I can. Now, there are days when I have to say I'm going to get off the phone because I can't do any more of this, but... Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but at the same time, it is, you know, it's something that I've, I've learned that, you know, you dig deep and uh, you love the people you love and um, uh, you, you carry on. I, I don't really know a better way of putting it. So Grace, I just, 
Love your storytelling about how you can decide how you're going to yeah. connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That you're just saying, and your perspective about how flawed humanity is. And so that's what I think is missing in understanding what it means to connect and what Mel and I are trying to talk about is that this connectedness with people you should love, you're genetically inclined by rules to love, but it can be difficult, or people who are just difficult, or people that you love to hang with that are just really great. All of that is just living. Yeah. And so this connection to be influential really requires these characteristics that you're talking about. Forgiveness, choosing, and courage. You know, that these things, in order to live a juicy life and to not have these people be in your head, not paying rent, I just, you know, you should kick them out, but how do you kick them out? That is a skill of connection that really we are about wanting to develop and having people understand earlier. And I just love your storytelling about this because it it really helps to exemplify the depth that we're talking about. So tell us a little bit more about the person that you are and this incredibly grounded woman of faith and forgiveness and courage. How does that all play in this rock and roll DC environment? Because there are a lot of examples that are not that. And both, sure. you know, Mel and I have been in the political arena Sure. to know that sometimes you're just like, Wow. I'm not, I really don't ever want to interact with you again because you're just so stinking nasty. But yeah. How do, you, how do you translate that and stay whole as yeah. a person? Because it can be too much burden on you to try to always make it right. So talk yeah. about that and what's the other person's responsibility in that connection? Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. Uh, that is absolutely a good point um, because, you know, sometimes... Uh, and sometimes it's too hard to forgive. Sometimes it's too hard to make the make it work. And um, and you can try, or you can, can you can you can recognize when to cut your losses and, and and so on. I mean, we have to be practical. Like you said, it's living. It's not being a saint, right? Right. I mean, there are very there are, there aren't that many saints here in the in, in the United States, and there are definitely none in DC. I can <laughs> I can pretty much vouch for that fact. Um, yeah, it's 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 really tough, especially when you have, I think, so much uh, division on display here in DC right now. Um, it, it it troubles me when people say that they absolutely just plain want to you know dismiss people like uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, or the people who ride uh, who who invaded the Capitol on January sixth. These are, I mean. Yeah, they were driven to extremes, and it's horrifying sometimes to see what those people did. Um, it, I mean, not sometimes it's horrifying to see what they did. Period. The end. But um, uh, but I think also you have to be human about it and recognize that there is something driving them, and um, you don't have to necessarily forgive what they did. Um, but I think just shutting off any attempt to understand what was going on there, I think, disserves us. Um, they should be prosecuted for, you know, all of the, all of the crimes they committed, but then we can't just leave it there. There was something else driving that. And if we don't understand that, I think that we're not, we're going to lose, um, our ability to preserve, I think the, the, the free democratic government that we have 
we do need to understand how we can be a more unified nation. And that's, that's, that's definitely been plaguing me as somebody, as, as, as you've pointed out, connection is important. And as actually Deb and Melody, you've pointed out that it is important to me and I've been realizing more and more how important it is to me. I think it's just something that's been implicit in my life, but uh, you've made explicit sort of one of the things that actually drives me. You do what you can, I think. You have to understand what your remit is. Uh, another phrase that actually comes to mind often, um, and it's funny because one of my favorite bosses, is just this wonderful woman, uh, Sandy Wilson, uh, who headed up the office, the, the public policy office for Cox Enterprises, fiery redhead, or she's strawberry blonde now, but you know, <laughs> uh, but uh, just a tough cookie, um, gracious, smart, also incredibly accomplished. She's a wonderful painter and um, sings in the choir. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that you know, she did this thing where we had to share quotes with each other. Um, and her quote was, I think, from Voltaire, tend your garden. Um, and it basically means, you know, whatever is going around outside of you know, outside of you, you will also have to tend your garden. Just do the job that you're supposed to do really well and just move forward from that. Try to, you know, sometimes you don't have things that are in your control. Um, and that is something that I actually uh, found very helpful. I think when I was working, when I've been working in DC, sometimes it is just tend your garden and move, you know, do do the things that you need to move, move along. Okay. So I'm going to sum you up and then I'm going to ask you to tell us one more thing. So I see you as a woman with grace. I see you as a woman of decisiveness. You are real. You are forgiving. You have um, the ability to connect, negotiate for the better good of not just people, but in general. But Grace, if you could go back and talk to yourself, I want you to talk to yourself, you know, back in your early 20s. What would you have told yourself then? that you didn't know then, that you know now? And what would you tell yourself? There could be advice for other women because I think everybody's wanted to know, how do we do this? So what what could you tell women today? What would you have said to you? What would you have said to Grace? Oh, well, first of all, Grace, you should have taken an economics course, for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> poetry is great. <laughs> Art history is great. But for God's sake, take an economics course. So that's one thing I would have said to myself. But in all seriousness, um, I, I, you know, it's something that's funny. I think we talked about it when we when we prepped earlier for this. But it, I, I, you know, it's, it's words that it's a word that both of you use. But um, it's uh, be authentic, be yourself. Uh, don't try to be something you're not. Don't try to be something you think that other people want you to be or you think you should be. Um, be authentic um, and just. You know, so much of my twenties, I think, was was spent trying to be what I think someone else wanted me to be, or what I think you know, uh, my parents, Korean society, um, I don't know, uh, my friends, uh, what they all expected me to be, and I think you know that that's to my detriment. I think you know, just being yourself, being the person who says, "No, I want to clear the air." And that's what I'm going to do. And I want to do it in a constructive and respectful way. Be that person. Uh, don't, you know, don't feel like you have to go and start throwing shade because you think that that's the right thing to do or, you know, that you've been wronged. Be yourself. Um, be the person who takes on a mission and is good, you know, is, is, you know, does every single bit to be good at it, even if you didn't originally want to start it. Um, 
be that person uh, because that's who you are. I mean, you want to take care of that. And, you know, when you feel like you can't be the person who teaches people <laughs> or, or, you know, or takes on that particular confrontation because it's just too much, that's okay too. You know, if you decide that you don't have, you don't have to combat every single little micro, uh, microaggression from somebody uh, about your race or about your gender, sometimes you can just let it slide and be, be, be kind to that person. Or, you know, if you feel like you do need to tell that person that they need to step back and rethink about what they've said, then, then you can be that person, but be authentic. Um, don't, don't be, I think, what everyone else thinks they need to make you into. Oh, Grace, thank you. Just. You just summed it up about letting something slide, giving people the grace to not have to confront every issue, but when it really matters, you have to have the courage to show up and to reestablish the connection. But the only way it really works is to be authentically you. And just thank you so much for being on the show and just sharing the real you, the real grace. And it's not surprising how you're making your way in the world in an incredibly influential way. Well. Thank you again for having me on. Um, it's really refreshing to talk a, a little bit deeper about these issues and to realize that um, it's not always fun. It's not always easy. And it's, it's um, you know, uh, people have, I think, you know, scars and, and, and uh, just sort of small hurts that they carry around and help shape them to be who they are. But I think talking about it with folks like you, um, makes it a good experience for everybody. And also, you know, just, it's a, it's a huge lesson. I think that we can all share with each other. Well, thanks, Grace. And boy, I, thanks to all of our listeners, because I think you're going to find some, some real deep things to think about as we go through this, because again, connection is not just about building relationships with others. It's really building that meaningful relationship with yourself so that you know who you are and what your value system is that really guides your work. So before we leave, we always like to leave with one big question. And, and Grace really helped us to talk this through today about how often do we reflect on the quality of our connections, which is really critical and important to do. So thanks again for tuning in to Influential She. We look forward to having ongoing conversations with amazing women from across the country. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed our podcast, we'd be so jazzed if you rate us on whatever app you use to find us. And hey, be sure to tell all your friends about Influential She. And please visit us at InfluentialShe.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. And you know what? If you come up with a new one, please let us know. In the meantime, remember, stay influential. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode.